I'm Sally Tierney, the owner of Clear Path Forward, an advocacy investigation firm in Virginia. And I love listening to the PI Perspective podcast because Matt interviews so many investigators that bring their unique expertise to the show. I've learned so much from them and look forward to every single episode. Thank you, Matt. The Campbell Group offers best in the industry pricing, service, and coverage for private investigators. With more than 25 years of experience in the industry and over 3,000 PIs insured nationally, the Campbell team has the expertise to make sure you have the coverage you need. Submit an application and receive a quote within 24 hours. Let us know on your application that you're an Investigator's Toolbox member and you'll receive $50 off your annual premium. You guys have been hearing uh, for a long time about how much I love Crosstracks, but now you're going to hear from somebody else. So we got George Gerges here. George is a member and user of Crosstracks. George, tell me real quickly what you love about Crosstracks. The simplicity of using it and the ability to customize everything that you could do with Crosstracks is awesome. It actually allowed me to take the way that I do my business and implement it into their system. And not only am I able to manage 10 or 15 cases, I'm able to manage 50 to 100 cases with the same effort. Fantastic. So Crosstracks, um, the case management system, they are SOC 2 certified. Basically, that's an encryption, really an upgrade. They're the only ones out there that are doing it. So please support this great sponsor that supports our show. Uh, Check them out. The links are in the show notes. Crosstracks, if you're an investigator, you should be using them today. Do you enjoy our podcast and the guests we bring you? Since 2019, Matt and his team have done their very best to give you amazing shows each week. If you feel like our show has helped you to be a better investigator, or maybe even inspired you to become an investigator, please let us know. We're looking for testimonials. Drop Matt an email with a recorded 20 to 30 seconds of you talking about this podcast. You can also email him something verbal about the website. His email is S at SatellitePI.com. And if you really feel blessed for having this content, consider supporting Matt and our show by joining Investigators Toolbox. You really have to see version 2.0. And at just 49 cents a day, it's a no-brainer. Now let's jump in to this week's episode. Are you an investigative professional with an international problem you can't solve? Conflict International has the knowledge and relationships to jump in for you. We compensate investigators for referring cases to our office. Contact us today for details. Conflict International uses insight, intelligence, investigation, risk management, and strategic solutions to solve problems troubling individuals and companies of all kinds anywhere around the world. Whether you're planning to hire a person to a position of trust, carry out due diligence on a company, trace hidden assets, or require skilled boots on the ground, Conflict International investigators can seamlessly pursue a case across borders, offering a truly global solution. Find out about our extensive range of services at conflictinternational.com. Conflict International. Global reach. International knowledge. Check out the PI Institute of Education at piinstitute.com. Since 1989, 
Kelly Riddle has been teaching on subjects such as surveillance, nursing home investigations, insurance fraud, domestic investigations, hidden assets, and accident scene investigations. The PI Institute of Education is a featured learning partner in the investigatorstoolbox.com. So check out the free content on the site, then visit the Institute for more great savings on additional classes. Well, I won't argue with you anymore. Open the doors. Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Welcome to this week's special roundtable episode of PI Perspectives. We brought back a panel of former guests to discuss a hot topic, artificial intelligence, deep fakes, and how they are affecting the investigation industry. This episode is packed with great content. So please welcome Alex Arbellis, Mike LaCourt, Scott Walker, Wes Bearden, and your host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome everyone to PI Perspectives, another roundtable edition. Everybody's talking about AI. Everybody's talking about deep fakes. You see it all over the place. And I figured why not get on board and let's get some industry experts in here to give our two cents on it. And we threw together this panel and I'm really, really excited to have my friends here, colleagues that I really, really respect. I think everybody's been on this program before, but never together all at once. Uh, so I'm going to start from my screen and just introduce everybody that's on here. We're going to start with Scott Walker. Scott, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm good, buddy. I feel like we just spoke because we, we did we like did a recently. week or two ago. Yeah, but give <laughs> yeah. me your elevator pitch as to who the heck you are. Keep it to 30 seconds. Yeah, I, I, spent, it, I spent 20 years in military and federal law enforcement uh, before moving to the private sector and working for some iconic tech companies and corporate investigations. And right before the pandemic and lockdown, I moved to uh, sunny Arizona, where I'm a private investigator, consultant and corporate investigator. Awesome. So happy to have you. Uh, we're going to move over to uh, my other left and uh, my fellow New Yorker and friend, uh, Alex Urbelis. I'm going to welcome you back to the program. It's great to be back here too, Matt. So I'm a cybersecurity lawyer with the law firm of Kroll & Moring. I'm in their New York office. I've been with Kroll for about two years. Prior to that, I was actually over at the NFL. I was a CISO, the Chief Information Security Officer at the NFL. And I've done a bunch of uh, defense and intelligence work in my, in my past as well. That's sort of me in a nutshell, former hacker turned lawyer. Awesome. Awesome. We're going to head south uh, now. <laughs> We're going to talk to uh, my buddy, Wes Bearden. Um, Wes has been on many times. He's, uh, he's a dear friend and uh, another attorney who just uh, knows what he's doing, so... Wes, tell everybody who you are and uh, what you do. Sure. My name is Wes Bearden. I'm a chairman of the board for Bearden Investigative Agency, which is a second generation private investigation agency. And then I'm also a trial lawyer with J.W. Bearden Associates. And I, most of my, my, my work is commercial trial litigation um, or, or civil cases that are, that are going to trial that are investigation oriented. Been around a long time. I've been on, I'm on WAD, World Association Detectives Board, been past president CISS and uh, past general counsel for uh, Texas Association of Licensed Investigators. Awesome. And last but not least, uh, our friend uh, from overseas, our international flavor here, my good friend, Mike LaCourt. Welcome back to the program, Mike. Thanks, Matt. Hello, everyone. Uh, Mike LaCourt here. I'm based in London. I'm the CEO of a company called Conflict International. We're a global investigation agency. We've got access and placement in most jurisdictions around the world. I'm past chairman and president of the WAD and I've been in the game for more than 25 years. Right. And for those who don't know, WAD is the World Association of Detectives. It's about a, a thousand investigator strong association that covers really all over the world. Great association to be a part of. Okay. So let's let's kick it off. We're talking AI. We're talking deep fakes. 
a lot of buzzwords, a lot of uh, concerns out there. Um, I think one of the most important things to realize about um, AI is the collection of personal data. So Scott, I'm going to uh, tap on to you uh, with this and just kick it off um, with regards to some of the concerns of data collection and uh, AI. Yeah, I think the important thing here, Matt, is that uh, we really don't get a vote. Um, nobody got a vote on Facebook. Nobody got a vote on Google. They all use your personal data, data however they want to. So whether it's deep fakes or AI, I think we're going to see uh, expanding abuse of um, how personal data is used. The pro the real problem is um, well, one we give uh, we allow it to occur. We're not doing anything to stop it personally, but. The public, uh, the people of the public trust, our our elected officials, at least in the United States, are just now starting to talk about this. Mm -hmm. Hey, maybe we should have a law. Yeah, you're about 10 years behind the power curve. And, and so it's going to take them another 10 years to catch up. So this will be the new normal for a while. Yeah, that's a really good point. So Alex, let's, let's tap on you for that. So, you know, we're talking about litigation. We're talking about, um, you know, the framework of how uh, our legal system should look at these issues. Um, and, and somebody who practices law and, and does a lot of uh, even international work as well, what are some of the trends and things that you're seeing with regards to governments trying to prepare um, and, and litigate these issues? Well, there's, you know, governments preparing things, you know, and I think, uh, you know, there's also a lot happening on the private sector too. You know, as we take the government side first, and I think, I'm actually doing some work with the Uniform Law Commission, the committee on the study for, uh, there's a commission rather, for the study of deep fakes. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm an observer on that committee and, and you know, we're looking at this issue uh, at the moment. And, you know, this raises a, a whole bunch of issues. It can raise, you know, issues of false light, libel, defamation, revenge porn, you know, unconsensual pornography. There's all kinds of issues over there that you know the government wants to try to potentially legislate about about these these issues. They are really tricky, really difficult. They often can tread on uh, or over rather um, constitutional issues as well. You know, the the issue of you know freedom of speech and First Amendment. You know, goes hand in hand with the limits of libel law and false light and defamation. And so we're we're dealing with that on on the one hand. And I think governments are always going to be playing catch up here. But I think where this gets really scary is the use of deep fakes and AI generated content in something like election interference, right? That's where I think we're going to see, you know, some some potential legislation on that subject, as well as a good amount of investigation with respect to who's generating what. I mean, just yesterday, I think it was, there was a, uh, a pretty viral, quote unquote, uh, deep fake. Well, it wasn't really even a deep fake. I think it was just an artificial image, an AI generated image about a bomb that had went off at the Pentagon. Mm -hmm. And this was propelled by a lot of these blue checked accounts all throughout Twitter. And this is a, a really, really big problem when you have the deregulation of certain platforms and you know, ostensibly for the promotion of the freedom of speech and, and almost these kind of absolutist principles of freedom of speech tied together with, with generative AI, artificially uh, generated images, AI generated images, um, and deepfakes. And then you have, you know, essentially, you know, an unregulated 
uh, I guess I can say it here on you know, this podcast because we're not you know regulated by the FCC here. But you have yeah. essentially unregulated shitstorm that's about to happen, um, and a, a major presidential election here. So I I see that as being um, the types of things that should keep a lot of government officials up at night right now. Sure, sure, Mike. Let's tap on you with regards to like uh, the Europe connection on this and the GDPR, right? So there's there's been this. GDPR, uh, you know, regulations for a long time, um, you know, protecting the privacy of, of people's data. So that's something that that Europe has recognized as, hey, this is an issue. This is something our const- constituents don't want out there. Now you've got the these a different way for data to be aggregated and collected that that maybe sidesteps some of those rules. So what what are you seeing over there? Well, look, we're in new ground, aren't we, at the moment? And I'm going to, there's two points I wanted to make. One, I agree with GDPR. That made the investigator's life here in the European Union a nightmare in terms of processing data, what you should store on your files, what you can share outside of the EU with the US, for example. I know you guys have privacy shields. So there's this, um, you know, uh, wave of what's possible and the processes among that. I mean, just yesterday, I was speaking to an American colleague who has offices in the US that has a client in Europe um, that's processing data in Europe. And now that client's requested that that American investigator has now sets up an office in Europe somewhere to continue processing and sharing the data internally. So it's putting um, layers in place that makes it difficult for us to operate. But I, I, I understand the unknown with the AI, but as an investigator, I'm looking at this as, is there any opportunity there? What, how can we interrogate AI? How can we utilize AI to make our work and our process is a lot more efficient. Right. And being in the game prior internet, where all of us are investigators would go to, say, libraries, um, ONSs, like official national statistics, and try and compile reports from data that was uh, difficult to collate, microfiche and whatever else. Then, then the evolution of the internet and Google and databases and search engines mm-hmm. made that process quicker I, I see, and we discuss AI all the time internally here, I, I see AI as the next step in terms of it's there, it's going to be developed. How as an investigator can we interrogate it to make our lives easier? How can it be used to collate uh, copious amounts of data quickly? So ask it questions to then have it do the research for you, just like Google would point you to websites where certain data would be or data sets or databases that we all have access to sure. that contain the information. AI can be used to go and ask that, ask it questions for you, for it to give you the raw data for you to then go through and interrogate as part of your research process well, to speed so up your research. There is the point right there that you're bringing it home, right? For you to then take that information and further research it and don't hold it as gospel because that's where, where we've got lots of issues and problems, right? So you're, you're, you're no longer just getting a, a query and then results from a query, right? That's your Google search, right? You're now you're getting actual interactive answers that, you know, hey, if if the AI says it is what it is, it's, it's probably, it's, it's right, right? Someone has fed in tons of data into this thing and, and I, it's got to be right, right? And just not doing that additional research, I think is something that's, uh, that could be problematic. So, so Wes, um, we're going to, um, next question, unless Mike, you have something further or? Just, I wanted to finish yeah. one point. AI is there, but there's you can't take away the HI, the human in, intelligence part of it. The artificial intelligence is is a tool that the human intelligence uses to compile a thorough report, I, and that that's the most important point. As investigators, we all 
work with data. We all work with, um, you know, trust, but verify. We all work with research and making sure that we we're reporting facts and opinion that, that, that that's the most important part. Sure. Sure. So Wes, we're going we're to move on to you. So as a, a litigator or solicitor, depending what country you're, you're in, uh, somebody who actually, you know, he's trying cases on there, like what gives you nightmares about AI and what uh, is something that says, Hey, this is actually going to be better for me. Well, I, you know, look, I think Mike hit, hit about it pretty good with, I mean, I think analysis is probably the most immediate direct impact in investigations that could happen. And, you know, there are a lot of investigations from the local police level up to very sophisticated corporate investigators. You know, we have now, and we all know we have the databases that you can plug somebody's name in and get, you know, 50 pages of reports. I think most of us, I think that a lot of junior investigators look at where does the guy live and has he been arrested? And then they take the paralegals and lawyers and then they throw it in the file and just say, well, screw it. We'll figure it out when we get there. Well, I think that AI has that analysis capability. They can tell you about the life. They can analyze those records. They can figure out, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, find conflict. So I think that's probably the biggest. I do think, yeah, they're real worries. Um, Look. We have now transferred the majority of these courts to this forum, which is Zoom. I don't know if you people are real. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think I do. But, you know, I found out that's not necessarily true. I've met know? everyone that, in person. That, I just want to say that I've met everyone in person. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, I, I, I mean, I, and the fact that there might be a machine that wants to look like me is even crazier. Yeah. But, yeah that's good point. But, but. <laughs> But we're starting to see these and, you know, we saw them kind of in COVID. I mean, you know, we uh, I, I remember having a, a case or, or I wasn't my case, but a judge was telling me about a case where he was mediating a case settlement conference. And he was just dead certain that the the one of the parties was drunk as a skunk. Yeah. Or and, cat, right? you know, someone had a cat filter on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or they cat, yeah. Right. And he's like, you know, how can I how, constitutionally, how can I allow this to happen now? And now, you know, these rules are changing. I mean, they're changing monthly. I mean, we've had, you know, new orders issued by every Supreme Court. It just depends on which state you're in. But, you know, I mean, it, it, there is that tr- chance, particularly as easier this becomes, that I can see as a judge, hey, I, I don't want this stuff online. This is too serious. You have a right to your accuser to look him in the face. Let's have him come in here and sit on the stand and do this. I don't want to do it by video. Right. Bad thing about that is that it's extraordinarily cost effective to be, you know, in this. And we realistically, we should have been doing this for a long time because it saves the clients tons of money. Why fly me to ten buck two for a hearing? I don't need to yeah. go to. Well, not know? only that, settlement conferences and all that 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 um, you know get done. It's just more efficient, you know, what I'm seeing in in New York. Alex, let's jump back to you and let's 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 stay on this legal theme here um, with regards to expert witnesses and AI being used to kind of beef up somebody's background uh, where, where you really don't know the person is who they say they are. What, what are the concerns behind that? How, how do you mean specifically? You mean like uh, it, it just in terms of a biography, you know, yeah, generating... just a biography that, you know, this is who I am. This is what I've done. And maybe I used AI to, you know, to, to just fluff it a little bit, make it, make it look a little better than it actually is. Yeah. I Any mean, concerns just about so, that? yeah, I, I do. I mean, I, and it, because it's inherently untrustworthy. I mean, for instance, you know, if you, uh, if if you generate AI about me, you know it'll tell you that I worked at the. Uh, I spent several years at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, um, and I didn't. You know, I mean, there's well, just guess you in know, the state, right? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's, it's it's really extraordinary too because we have to think about AI as really 
what what it is right now is is it's not really intelligent in the sense, right? It's a we're we're very concerned about these large language model AIs, and they are essentially a much more advanced and evolved version of predictive text. They're trained, you know, to to put words in an order based on the order of words that it has historically seen over terabytes and terabytes of data. Right. So um, it doesn't really pay very much attention whatsoever to the truth. And I think that's where, if we are thinking about whether or not AI is going to be able to augment our, our productivity levels and uh, and or, or even on the other hand, take away jobs, um, we have to get it to a get the, these LLMs, these large language models, to a point where they are inherently trustworthy. Um, I, I think using AI to, to beef up a bio or something like that without having what Mike had mentioned as well is this kind of human intelligence collection component of it and this human check on it is a is an absolutely horrible idea. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, though, you know, I, I also, by the way, I, I teach law at, um, I'm a professor of law at King's College London. Um, teach cybersecurity law there. And so, you know, the ability for students to, let's say, you know, generate an outline of a really difficult topic and then prepare a paper around it. Well, that's, you know, if so long as they are generating their own content, but using a framework that's developed from an AI, I mean, I don't see that as as violating any kind of ethical standards. Either. So I think there are ways that, that you can use it effectively yeah. and trust it today. But once we get into specifics um, and and actual claims about whether an individual did X or Y or Z, right. that's that's really much more difficult. Right. So, Mike, let's let's talk about um, you do a lot of due diligence and you do a lot of, you know, um, searching with regards to C-level executives and, and doing backgrounds and things like that. So so now we're out of the courtroom here and, and we're talking about backgrounds of, of just people that you're looking at. You know, it, do you have a concern uh, about um, you know some deep fake uh, content finding its way into the research that you're doing. So again, trust but verify. You know all the sources that we get, we list, um, and and then you confirm or deny. You know what, how it works, Matt. You've got your primary sources, secondary sources, and then any other intel that you've developed and wherever that source may and be. And a disclaimer. And, <laughs> <you off> the <laughs> and a thick disclaimer. No, but and and any other sources is where AI sits at the moment. It's not a primary or secondary source. We, we wouldn't grade it there at the moment. So it we would then whatever it develops, and it's how you interrogate whatever AI you're using. Right. to give you another set of data for you to then go through and then sift through what cross verify with what other data sets you've got you know it's another additional tool that hopefully should shortcut investigative desktop research time but it doesn't take the human element out of the investigation that that's that's important i think we're still in unknown and as I understand, there's only data up to June 2021 yes. uh, on, at the moment on ChatGPT and the others that use the similar similar sourcing platforms. So it's it's learning. And as we move forward with this, I think we should learn as much about it as possible and embrace it as an additional tool and how we can maximize and leverage it to sure. assist investigation. Yeah, there is the other risk factor as well, as you say. Sure. Sure. Alex was saying as well. And and there's that arms race, right? So Scott, let's let's talk about that a little bit, right? You've got Chat GPT mm -hmm. and you've got, you know, the companies that want to be like Chat GPT. That's we're, we're building the better tomato over here or tomato, right? Yeah, the, the, the right? billionaire uh, AI race is on. Yeah. And, so so uh, what are you seeing there with that? Yeah, what you know, Elon Musk now says he wants to build one that will counter all the bad things that all these other AIs will will get. I you know, I think this is just like uh 
2007 when social media race was on, you know, and there will be the Google pluses of AI out there, you know, right. and, Google plus, and what's that? <laughs> yeah, what's that? Yeah. All the millennials are like, I don't understand. <laughs> no um, <laughs> so, you know, the, the race is on uh, now privately funded versus government funded is going to be a thing. Uh, I think there's plenty of governments out there that want to use AI for nefarious purpose or for atta- for uh, a, like defense uh, attack type purposes. Mm-hmm. And then there's probably going to be plenty of people that want to counter AI or counter deep fakes. Yeah. Um, but it, the manipulation of information uh, has always been in the United States. Yeah. Because if you think about communication, what did, when when you know there were, there was news around the world, there you know BBC, uh, New York Times, uh, the the India Times, it doesn't matter. There uh, has always been news, but the United States takes that and then like skyrockets it and, and adds jet fuel to it and, and makes it uh, something that goes incredibly viral. Now, if you add that the AI component or the deep fake component on top of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are major news periodicals that are saying, oh, yeah, we use AI to write our articles. Well, does AI fact check? I mean, you know, we talked about <laughs> attribution. Mike made great points about attribution. We need attribution. We need yeah. to know where'd you get that? What's your reference? What's your resource? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think what it's going to do, and Mike mentioned this a little bit earlier in what he was saying, but I think that what this is going to do is uh, uh, make us rely much more on human sources than what we read or see on Twitter. You know, Alex said it earlier too, the, the thing, blue checkmark people posting, yeah. oh, there's been an explosion at the Pentagon. It was all BS. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's crazy. And so Wes, let's tag on that a, a little bit because I think Scott brought up some good points and let's, let's look at espionage because this is something that you and I had talked about um, earlier in the year um, with investigators being used as tools um, you know, to, to perform espionage un- unknowingly. Right. So right. now you have this, you know, we, and we talked about it earlier with elections and things like that, where you have uh, other countries, you know, creating content to influence people um, and how that actually could end up affecting us as investigators when there's just, just broad scale of, we got to reel this in and get rid of all, you know, research, you know, capabilities and things like that because somebody got burnt uh, doing something. So um, what do you feel on that? Cause I know you got your, your hand to the ground when it comes to um, you know, these kinds of issues. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, look, the, the cases that we've seen that have actually been prosecuted are cases against investigators uh, who've been hired probably unknowingly by uh, foreign countries. Right. I mean, AI, AI is going to make that ability uh, a lot easier to do, frankly, yeah. uh, makes it, you know, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be an impact there. Um, you know, somebody said this at the very beginning, and I think it was Alex, uh, you know, this, this, we are so far behind from a legal framework to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And now Europe's closer than we are, maybe, um, because it, it includes all data. But, you know, we just... Texas just passed the Data Privacy Act. I think there's a couple of others that are out there that are getting real close, maybe Florida and Ohio. I can't remember. But, um, you know, if you look at these Data Privacy Acts, I'm not sure that an AI company isn't violating those acts if once they come into effect. Sure. Having said that, you know, um, who's policing that? <laughs> How do you police it? And, 
Yeah, yeah. Really I, I, I mean, you know, th there's a whole and, and look, our courts are miles behind in terms of technology. They just always are. And I've got story after story about that where it's grossly behind. But, um, you know, it, it, it's one of the things that I, you know, when we were talking about some of the statutes that are out there, you know, yeah, Virginia or the California Consumer Privacy Act, you know, it might prohibit those things. It might not. I mean, one of the things that's in there in the States is a, a small business carve out. And I think some of those AI companies are not going to be considered big business. Right. So how's that going to work? So they get, they get, a, I mean, they're the ones we ought to really be trying to screw, you know, screw down the rules and say, Hey, this is what you can do and can't do yet. They're going to get a, a, an exemption. I mean, it, it is scary and it has the potential to have a real big blowback on investigators, uh, you know, and, and lawyers, anybody else. Yeah. So, so Alex, as, as a law professor and you're, you're teaching students about, you know, this up and coming technology and, and, you know, what to really, um, you look for and things like that. When you're putting your curriculum together and you're, you're, you're touching on these points, like what are, what are the important factors that you want, like the next generation of people getting into these things just to realize and, and be aware of? You know, I, I think that they have to understand you know, essentially how these things work. You have to understand, you know, not fundamentally and from the ground up, but at least have some glib understanding of of what data goes in and is processed, right? Because that's going to drive how you, let's say, shape your contracts, how you craft your privacy policies, how you maybe even create something like like a cybersecurity information security appendix or rider to a particular contract, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you don't understand, you know, what's happening within this box, it's really hard to mitigate any risks associated with that box, too. I mean, you, you look at what's going on right now, too, with uh, artists and copyright infringement litigation, you know, where you have a, a bunch of artists that got together and then they filed a class action for copyright infringement against Stability AI. Uh, Stability Diffusion, that is, as well as um, DeviantArt, which is... Uh, uh, also, by the way, a, a client of mine. Um, and, you know, the allegations in that lawsuit are, well, you know, these AI engines scraped and took a massive amount of data that you know, could be copyrighted images and then used that to uh, train itself to then generate images in the likeness of various artists or, or something like that. You know, whether or not that is fair use under the copyright doctrine is uh is, is really up for grabs right now and i think you know look you can you can argue it both ways i think that um i think deviantart and, and stability diffusion stuff have the, the better end of the stick here uh, very much so in my opinion but um perhaps i'm a little biased on the other hand um you know i i think it's really really important to teach students to be cautious about the output of this type of, of of thing, because as we had just discussed before, a lot of this was really untrustworthy. Yeah. A lot of it, you know, think about the old principle of garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. But I think fundamentally, having an understanding of how the technology works is really critical to understanding how to mitigate any risk associated with it. That's a good point. That's a really good point. You know, I, as you're talking, you're you're talking about artists and and you know lawsuits and things like that. I can't help but think of uh, John Fogarty suing John Fogarty over, over Clear's Clear Order Revival. You know, this is like taking it to a whole nother level, right? Um, and it, it, it's just crazy. I really uh, love the point that Mike made earlier about, um, you know, when, when he's collecting all this information that it's almost falling down the rung as far as credibility wise goes, you know, when you're pre preparing that, that, that work product, you know, just slotting it in where it should be and not like, Hey, this is, you know, 100% 
you know, verifiable. This is gospel. It's like, no, we found this, but Hey, here's an asterisk, you know, like mm, use your, use your judgment um, here on that. So Mike, as somebody that, that, you know, obviously does a lot of research and, and things like that, do, do you see uh, a vertical for investigators specifically saying we are the AI deep fake investigators? We're going to really hammer down and find out what's right and what's not right. Do you think that there is a market for that to specifically focus on that? So, yeah, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. With this product that you mentioned earlier, this social media check plus that we do, where we're, we're um, checking someone's social media footprint to see whether they've put any nefarious posts or liked any posts 10 years ago that were deemed inappropriate now, and that doing that cleanup with consent, maybe potentially utilizing AI to take that to the next level and do these things a little bit more deeper and quicker may be an option. The other thing is, is understanding, and Alex touched on this and so did Scott, is, is understanding the capability of AI and how to interrogate it, how to leverage it best to help an investigation. So asking it questions rather than find me this. So it could be show me statistics of X against Y over the last 10 years. And it will give you a lot of data that would have taken an investigator, say, hours to research through registries. It would collate it quickly. And that is understanding how to leverage AI to assist your investigation need. That, that I think, is the takeaway for every investigator that's working in the field. Not to use AI to do your investigation for you, because it's not going to provide you an independent, unbiased, factual report. It's just going to scrape the net and give you an answer to a question. It's, it's interrogating it and getting those facts that you can cross-reference with the other searches that you do to then give you maybe a clearer picture, you know, so a, a more, more information. Right. So it's almost like, you know, that level of due diligence, right? We did all this other research and then we also asked AI what it thought about it too. And this is what it, what it, it came back to you. Right. So maybe, uh, you know, putting that, um, uh, that part into it. Um, so I, I want to move on to the next point here. Uh, and we're, we're, we're going to, we're not taking a break. We're going to skip through. Cause I feel like this is, uh, we're, we're on, uh, we're on a lot of really good uh, content here. So, Let's talk about the potential for bias um, with AI. And, and you know, we, we talked about, all right, it's machine learning. It's up to 2021, allegedly. That's what they're telling us, right? Um, you know, but but are there certain biases that are being programmed into this, um, you know, for certain reasons, you know, to, to generate uh, feelings or um, social agendas in a certain direction? Do you, do you, do you feel like that? That has the potential to happen or is going to happen. So Scott, I'm going to I'm going to tag on you first on this, uh, and just get your two cents on that. What do you think? Well, you know, Alex mentioned large learning models before, and and my first employer out of uh, the government was Nvidia, and they've kind of been um, on the forefront of a lot of these things, just not as publicly as you know Elon Musk and and uh, Microsoft have been, but they have have really been pioneers in large learning models. And so I think as as if as the data sets get better, I believe that I'm not the data scientist, of course, but I do believe that that the learnings will get better. And the less bias the they will be. But just as um the truth is in the eye of the beholder, the truth is in the eye of the creator. So I don't have any faith that many companies will well that are creating their own AI and many governments that are creating their own AI will have any reason not to manipulate the data 
to for an outcome. Um, we've seen this happen all around the world in many times. I don't have to go through all the examples, but right. we know that that creators who create content or create information uh, manipulate it at, for their own reasons, whether that be, I got to turn a profit. Look, I mean, why does Google who are up your data? Because it has to turn a profit. It doesn't exist without it. Same thing with Twitter, same thing with Facebook. Right. You know, if if something is free, or if you think something is free and you're on that platform, you're the product, right? <laughs> exactly. they're, they're selling your data. Right. So I, I think it's going to get, I think it will get better and, and there will be less concerns, but we're looking at data or we're looking at, at these AI concepts mm-hmm. um, that are very native. They're very naive right now. Right. Um, as they get better and we get closer to, you know, the, the realization uh, and and AI starts writing its own code and kind of birthing itself over and over again. Um, we're good, we'll probably see that within the next 10 years, but uh, I, I think that it's going to be um, a difficult thing for us to talk about because a lot of people don't understand it. There's a lot of people still in the kind of analog days right. and there are government there's people in government mark uh, zuckerberg testified in front of congress and what's the one thing that made everybody laugh when this crusty senator or congressman said mr zuckerberg how does facebook make money right we sell ads like i don't even know why that's a question right so i have no faith that our government is going to be able to protect us from any kind of uh, abuse of ai um, or or misguiding ai it's going to be through trial and error and through lawsuits we're going to have to sue these people into compliance right right so wes what what, what's your feeling as far as like discrimination and the possibility of of ai really being being programmed in a way that it that it's spitting out uh, discriminatory results Oh, I think uh, I'm real concerned about it. I think that not only that, but it also might be a reaction of life. I mean, you know, Amazon had this program where they would look at people's faces and determine whether or not you were suspicious or not. Right. I remember if y'all remember that. They abandoned <laughs> that program. Turn your cameras off. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. abandoned that whole they abandoned that whole program basically for political pressure, I think, or or, or kickback. You know, and there may have been other issues, but that's, you know, it sounds like what it was to me. But yeah. but think about that. If you walk out your office today and you call 911 and you say, well, this guy looks suspicious. Mm-hmm. Well, what the hell does that mean to you? You know, and and uh, I mean, and then we're going to start getting into a deal where maybe it does kick out, but it's factual. But maybe we wouldn't say that, you know, not that, you know, you, explain to me what suspicious is to you. Well, it depends on where you're at. You remember, I mean, it's if you go back to the old. Oh, what was that movie with the alien? Men in Black? You remember that scene in Men in Black where he pulls the gun out and he shoots the alien that's just sitting, or no, he shoots the little girl that's reading the quantum physics books in New York and the training deal. And he asks, Well, why'd you do that? Well, she has no reason to read those books at nine years old. And, you know, they got aliens all the time. You know, I mean, some of that stuff is going to be factual. I mean, I hate to say it. The majority of men in this country that are in prison are young black men. I don't think that's right. I, I fought against that. I, I think there is sometimes a prejudice and bias that happens, but that's right. the, still a fact that we have to overcome. Right. And, you know, if it's just learning facts and it's learning and teaching itself, where's that going to go to? And, and I, so, I mean, yeah, it's a real concern. And I, I think we're about to find out some things about ourselves that that thing might tell us right. that we don't want to hear. 
Yeah. yeah <laughs> Sorry, so, yeah, so Alex, let's, let's tap in on you and get your uh, your comments on this. Yeah, I, I think this issue of bias is is really really fascinating because um, here in New York, and I think obviously this has been kind of you know news in New York, but I think we are really at the forefront, and not just New York State, but really New York City. We're at the forefront of the regulation of bias in artificial intelligence because we have something here called Local Law 144. Um, and it goes into effect on July 5th. So it's going to you know, ruin Fourth of July weekend for a lot of companies and, uh, and AI uh, companies in particular. And what this law says is, is kind of fascinating <clears throat> because it, it regulates something known as AEDTs or Automated Employment Decision Tools. So if there is a company that's using some kind of AI-based or machine learning-based algorithm to make employment-related decisions, whether that be selecting somebody for a job, creating a subset of candidates, or sifting through a massive amount of applications, you need to have some kind of public notice You know that you are using some AI or ML system. Uh, and you also, before you have, are, you're actually using that system, you have to have your AI system or your machine learning algorithm vetted by an independent third party and publish the results of a bias audit. You know, they have to be publicly available out there. And so all of this has been happening over the last year. Um, and it does seem like the city is not going to kick the can down the road one more time, as it very often does. And that all this will come into effect uh, just after the 4th of July. Right. So, you know, this is one form of of trying to mitigate bias when it comes to AI and ML, but it's in a very, very specific context. And if we start regulating AI on, on the basis of every single context, it's going to become, again, just an unmitigated nightmare. Um, it'll be great for the lawyers, right? We'll all be busy trying to help companies figure out what to do when, but it will certainly stifle progress and innovation, I think, in, in this particular area. So in as much as I'm in favor of uh, trying to mitigate bias in AI, I think there are there may be better ways to do it, or or at least we should give it some additional reconsideration. The European way of starting to regulate AI right. is is interesting too because it's risk based. Right? So the proposals and models that they have coming out of the EU, which I guess eventually will filter down to you, Mike, in in some form or another, you know, given Brexit and whatnot. But they, uh, you know, are 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 sort of um, based on use cases, right? So if something is a really high risk or very high risk scenario to be using AI, well, then you're just not going to be allowed to do it whatsoever. And that would be in something like policing or arresting an individual, right? You're just not allowed, you're not going to be allowed to use AI to do that, right? right? Or or to, you know, judge some kind of court case, right? Can't have AI replace a jury just yet. Uh, on the other hand, you know, self-driving cars that use artificial intelligence. Well, that's a high risk endeavor. You know, what about making uh, automated employment decisions? Is that high risk or is that medium risk or is that low risk? And then you have this issue and problem of classification of risk. And where does that fall in? How does it affect people? So it's a big problem. I think it's better to do it on a category based system than an individual and specific context based system. But um, yeah, we're going to be wrestling with this one for a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I I can already hear the the employment attorneys uh, licking their chops, <laughs> getting ready for this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's no interesting doubt. because you've seen a lot of the bigger firms, um, you know, the, the the white shoe firms, you know, are now hiring specifically diversity attorneys, and they're advertising about it. Hey, we just hired so and so 
uh, to be our head of diversity, right? So it's it, it you see them like getting in front of that happening, right? They know it's coming, uh, and it's like, look, you know, we've 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 got policies and procedures in 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 place here. Um, and you you see it happening. And now, you know, even in New York, we want to talk about uh, AI and uh, facial recognition, right? So there there is um, at, at the, the city level, they're trying to introduce um, bills to ban it in, in you know sporting events and in restaurants and things uh, of that nature. And it's it hasn't really caught on yet, but you're just starting to hear it, the sniffing, right? It's going to start in New York City. Then it'll hit uh, upstate to Albany. And then all of a sudden it's a real deal because uh, people are really pissed about going to sporting events and, and having their uh, images captured. I know Alex, you're, you're, you got, you got your hand up. So tagging. Yeah. Well, you know, lawyers in particular, right? Because yeah. they, you know, I'm not our colleagues now, but there's been a lot of nastiness happening here in New York too, with, with Madison square garden. So the, the Dolan family owns Madison square garden uh, and they implemented this rule that essentially uses this, this ML system, this machine learning system uh, and facial recognition software so that any law firm that has a case uh, on the other side of the V all right, uh, against Madison Square Garden. So if you're a plaintiff or if you're, let's say, a, a defendant on the other side of the V, you know, Madison Square Garden sued one of your one of your clients and you're defending them. What they've done is they ingested all of the images from the websites of all the lawyers in the firms, not just the lawyers that are working on these particular cases. And they have essentially banned all of those individuals from entering Madison Square Garden. So if you go with your kids and you work at, you know, 800 person law firm like I do, and you're trying to see Taylor Swift, not, not that I would take my sons to do that, but there's no shame. Uh, you, just own it. Just own it. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever you do, you're going to a Rangers game or something, right. If you want, want to be more masculine about it. Right. And um, you, you're not even working on this case. You're going to be singled out in a crowd and asked to leave, you know, security is, it has taken people out. So the attorney general of the state of New York, as I understand it, has you know started to crack down on this and asked MSG to stop it. Yeah. But you know, here you have you know a private party who has a lot of leeway when it comes to enforcing who comes and who goes on their premises. Yeah. You know, butting up, uh, butting heads against you know, government regulation of this technology. So it's a fascinating, weird time. It is weird, and and you know the answer was just take away the liquor license if you want them to comply, and <laughs> pretty much ended it right there. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you, you touched on some some points earlier about the European model of you know risk assessment, uh, Mike. I wanted to get your your thoughts on that, um, and, and just uh, kind of hit back on that point. Um, do you do you feel like there's value in that? Yeah, I mean, the European Union, and also Alex touched one point, Brexit 2018. So yes, we're not part of the EU in the UK, and which causes us more problems, actually, to be honest with you, because GDPR was implemented, and then the UK left the EU. So yes, I wanted to bring up this 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 point in terms of this bias, um, where I know that in the private sector, especially in the insurance claims arena, uh, there were things called voice stress analyzers that were used on telephone calls where it was using, and it, I suppose it's an old version of AI. It wasn't AI, but it's a, it was a, a computer platform that would analyze the, um, the claimant's voice while they were putting the claim through, through a series of questions that the claims handler was asking them. And then it would grade it in terms of whether it was, false, true, or unknown, or give it a grade. And then the claims um, handler would then either take it in the next stage investigation file or put it through for claim. Um, 
I, I see AI being utilized in though in those in that scenario um in order to sort of minimize the amount of fake claims that are going through. So I, I just wanted to throw that out there. And that is another biased platform, I suppose, because you know the voice stress and analyzer will only work on stressing uh points in the voice in terms of questioning. I think and you can train yourself to get around it too, you know like well, there's that as well. Yeah, it's like a lie detector test, I suppose. But AI, like you say, is 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 constantly learning and evolving. Where's the where's the bias there, and how does that affect outcome? And it all I always go back to my other point. AI is just going to be a, a part of a, a bigger team of of whatever the case may be. A bigger team of lawyers, a bigger team of research, bigger team of investigators, bigger team of claims handlers, whatever the case may be. And that's where, because we're in uncharted territory, it's testing the boundary of what it's capable of. And it's the unknown, isn't it? It's the next stage. What happens next? And well, I wanted to ask yeah, go Scott's on. point in terms of government, you know, uh, I think everyone's investing in this secretly. Everyone's developing their their uh, levels of intelligence in this. Everyone is is poised in terms of who, who moves first. So I, I think the next five, 10 years is going to be interesting. Yeah. I just want to know when Skynet takes over. Because as soon as the Skynet takes over, like I'm out, I'm done. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm not gonna call myself John Connor. I'll be okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll live. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting, you know. And the other thing to to realize and just you know just discuss about is data collection, right? These things are big data aggregators. They're collecting, collecting, collecting. It's there forever. Once it's up there, it's there, right? And and how do you get around that? And how do you get it down? Or how do you say, you know, hey, this is incorrect, right? That, that you got there. I mean, these are these are issues. You know, it's it's like you know Wikipedia having something up there that's mm, it's not one hundred percent on that. So, um, Wes, what, what are your what are your feelings on that? Well, I mean, I think that uh, you know, I, I'm I'm more and more concerned that you know the platform that we're using to regulate this stuff is not going to really work. <laughs> um, you know, um, I just uh, I do a uh, privacy law deal for uh, lawyers, and I've done it for a whole bunch of I did for the Houston Bar Association just recently, but I've done it for all sorts of associate bar associations. And uh, you know, the first thing I always start is with is the Wiretap Act, and the reason is the Wiretap Act has worked. It has worked. We've tried to mimic it in certain areas, certain states have mimicked it. You know, and and it's worked. It, it basically was the first time we protected communication instead of property rights. Uh, you know, and um, I, are these privacy acts really going to do that? You, you know what I mean? There is a potential that they could. You know, I mean, a lot of these privacy acts are really worried about when you're taking bulk amounts of data and providing it from one person to another and the rules and regulations you have to follow with, you know, whether you have to have consent or not. That's what a lot of them are designed to do. Now, whether they do that or not, I mean, that's what 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 GDPR does. And GDPR does something that we've never done. I mean, we, which is a real issue. I mean, GDPR was the first time that they said, we're going to protect all data. They didn't classify it. That's not what we've done in the United States. We've always done, okay, tax returns. We're going to, all right, that's kind of, that's kind of something that's kind of a little touchy. We'll deal with that. Uh, you know, medical HIPAA record, you know, we've categorized that, but we've never done it in whole like they have. And, um, and, and, you know, there's, so, so that, that's a real issue. I mean, how are we going to, you know, how's the regulation going to go about it? I don't really blame Congress. First, I kind of blame Congress for, for dragging their feet about this. But this is one of these issues. I think these individual states have got to get some regulation and see what works and what doesn't. Right. Uh, and I do think eventually Congress is going to have to file something that's a preemptive uh, data 
uh, bill that's going to work on these things and how that's going to work with AI. Cause nobody's really done that analysis, frankly, everything's being passed now with stuff that was talked about about six years ago, right. from, you know, before COVID and, and before. And so it, it, it's a real issue. You know, one thing that I want to say, we're talking about this bias, the bias is important, but you know, um, we also, you know, it's not just bias, it's prejudice. I mean, that that's, um, you know, are you prejudiced? There's a million juries set every week with that. You know, I can't trust people who are born and raised in Fort Worth, Texas. Trust me, I know that. <laughs> that's all right. You're a Texan. What, you can say that. It's all good. What, what, what's, the, what's the next thing coming across that courtroom? Well, could you set those biases aside and render a fair and true, you know, impartial verdict? Yeah, sure. I can. I, I won't be prejudiced against them, you know. Now, and, and, but our law does that, too. You know, the ban the box laws, all those things, you know, they're, they're trying to stop bias, but it's designed to stop bias, at least to prejudice. And now the line's starting to get real clear about you know, I mean, it's going to get a little bit more fuzzy, but maybe we're going to have to get back to really understanding that bias is totally something different than being prejudiced against someone. And maybe we just can't separate them. Right. So Plus you have all those Californians that are relocating to Texas too. So that uh, just kind of, oh, nobody, yeah, nobody that. <laughs> <laughs> just joking. Uh, being a former Californian, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to tap on you next. <laughs> recovering California. Recur- recovering. Don't um, worry, I want Texas here. Tech, or I want California or Texas West. I couldn't even Arizona, California. So <laughs> I don't even know what the heck you guys are talking about. That's all good. Um, so West so we're, knows we're, what I'm talking about. We're we're actually yeah. gonna gonna wind down here, right? So I want to get the parting thoughts on on you know the next five to ten years because that seemed to be a, a theme earlier. Like, hey, wait, what's gonna happen next? You know, in the next five to ten years, what do you think is gonna happen, Scott? Where do, where do you see all this going? Well, I think uh, a ton of disruption of the these old industries or, or what we we know as kind of tried and true standard industries like legal, healthcare, mm-hmm. um, our industry and in, in investigations, I think is ripe for disruption. Education is ripe for disruption. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what we're going to see over the next five years is kind of an eroding of that what we always knew, I whenever I had to write up a contract, I always knew I could go to my attorney and have them read it and make sure it was good to go. Now I feed it into probably something, some free AI because they want to learn <laughs> and then I, it spits out an answer for me. Right. So we're going to have kind of these shavings in, over the next five years of what our what our standard industry practices were. And uh, in addition, the, the coupling effect or the decoupling effect really um, is uh, China-Russia decoupling from the global economy, um, as well as our people that are, we would call senior citizens or, or people that are in the baby boom generation are leaving the workforce mm. in mass over the next five to 10 years. So how does that affect AI? It is going to require businesses that want to survive. They will have to rely on it. Sure. I tell my my daughter, who is a therapist, um, that in the f- very near future, it will be a requirement for her to consult with AI or to use AI in, in this big learning models to, uh, it'll be an ethical issue if she doesn't use AI in mm-hmm. determining and, and understanding mental health. So I think that's, you know, there's parlays into what we do as investigators, what attorneys do. Mm-hmm. And all those things, it will be something akin in the next five years to what we use with, in Siri today. Right. So you're talking about like, you know, talking to your attorney and I, I'm recalling a conversation that Wes and I had probably a month or two ago 
about some AI product that actually it sounds like your attorney, like they actually take your attorney's voice. And when you're having a conversation, you're calling a law firm and you're talking to somebody that not even actually a human being, they just sound like the guy that you know, right? Which is a great billable hour. <laughs> great billable, right? <laughs> Here's some billable hours for you. Um, Alex, we're going to go over to you uh, next five to 10 years. What, what do you uh, see on the horizons? Uh, I'll bring it back to, you know, I think we're going to see more and more regulation. I think it's going to be piecemeal in, in the United States. And I think states are going to get in the mix. So I think um, federal government may try, but, you know, we still don't even have overarching privacy legislation uh, in at the federal level in the United States. But I, I think you know, going back to uh, some cybersecurity concerns here, too, I think what we're going to see uh, much more frequently and, and more recently, or, or I think, you know, much more uh, in, in the in the very recent future here, or the very near future, I should say, is the leveraging of, of the automation of AI to launch more sophisticated cyber attacks as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as, as investigators, I'm sure we've all, you know, pulled the thread on a whole bunch of business email compromise scams, you know, trying to pull down now, where did these fraudsters, you know, send this money from here to there? How do they do it? You know, and, and ordinarily it's a, it's a matter of phishing. But now if you have uh, generative AI able to, and, and leveraging what you just said, Matt, essentially replicate the voice of another person, right? You know, we're all on this podcast right now. We've probably given, you know, some form of generative AI enough to go on to recreate our voices. I'm, I'm very often in the media, do a lot of radio and, and whatnot. And so somebody could easily replicate my voice. And any CEO of a company has done a TED Talk or any PowerPoint presentation that you can find on YouTube. Well, that's enough to replicate that person's voice as well. Yeah. So you're going to start to see threat actors automate I think business email compromise using generative AI and maybe even some old school hacker techniques like phone freaking and voicemail hacking. Yeah. Imagine if you could use, you know, some kind of, of false and fraudulent voice of your accounts payable person or the CEO directing you using an on-company voicemail box to make some form of payment. Yeah. You know, let's say a, a several million dollar. Uh, payment of of uh, an outstanding account. Well, then all of those internal checks and balances that you have, you know, to call that person, verify it's them, listen to the voice, make sure it's an internal number. All of those internal security controls are going to be turned against you. And yeah. you know, when it comes to the use of AI and that kind of offensive how's, conduct, how's insurance going to cover that? Right. Well, there's a, there's already been a couple of cases about the use of uh, sort of deep fake voices yeah. in business email compromise from actually a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, I think you're also then going to see cyber liability insurance really trying to carve this type of stuff out yeah. um, if it becomes a problem. So yeah, um, it, it's going to be like the Wild West, I think, on, from a cybersecurity perspective. Uh, and and I think the AI systems that we're going to employ to try to defend against this are always necessarily going to be reactive, and it's going to be more difficult to filter out the things that we specifically want filtered out because systems that overblock tend to overblock what they are supposed what they're not supposed to block and underblock what they uh, are actually supposed to block. So we're going to have that problem as well. 
Yeah. When you start talking about like uh, the, the amount of content that's out there available, our voices and all that, I can't help but think of uh, the Snoop Dogg, Gin and Juice and Tom Brokaw. <laughs> they literally got the whole song down based on this guy's news reporting. And it's hilarious. <laughs> so Yeah. Yep, you know, and then copyright issues and you right. know, right of publicity issues. So all of this is going to come to a screaming head very soon. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. How, how about you, Mike? Where do you see it all going? Just wanted to touch base on what Alex just said. I sat on a financial crime panel not that long ago, and it's for the financial uh, sector. And that was huge risk in terms of this voice tricking the cyber, uh, the security controls in trying to get access to banking and information. And the banks and the fintech sector I know here in the UK are definitely investing a lot of time in trying to upgrade security to combat AI. And it is a massive risk at the moment. For me, looking at it, as, a, as an investigator, I think we need to continuously educate ourselves with its capability, understand it, and and grow with it. I see there's a lot of moving parts to this. There are risks because of the unknown. And um, when you start to leverage its capability, especially with bad actors out there in terms of trying to leverage it for, you know, nefarious purposes, then, you know, the cat and mouse game is on. You know, the AI will continually develop. And we've got to, everyone else in the in the field has got to try and either counter and and protect. And it's it's this game, and it will continue. Um, I think we need to embrace it and utilize it as a tool to assist, uh, but also understand its capabilities. And that I think is the continuous risk, and that's it's the unknown that will shape how it develops. It's literally Moriarty and and Sherlock going back and forth, right? It's a game of chess. Um, how about you, Wes? We're going to we're gonna um, end with you and uh, kind of wrap this whole thing, put a nice bow on it. I think everything they said is about right. I mean, I, I think that- <laughs> All right, know, we're done. Gonna, wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. Basically, you know, I, I think the regulation's going to- I think that's a book to be written. And, you know, if you're a young investigator or you're a lawyer or anybody, I mean, you need to help write that book because, you know, in this last couple of Congresses, we've had, you know, some people who just want to take a, a thousand pound hammer just say you can't sell private information to people, period. We don't care who you are, what you're doing, just can't do it. Those bills have been filed. And then we've had more reasonable ones. And I think you're going to have to, I mean, we're going to be fighting that bad off for the next 10 or 15, 20 years. I, I really do think that it's going to be, uh, that's going to be tough. I think that's, yeah, sure. It poses a, a huge risk. You know, you talk about the, the banking. I mean, one of the biggest frauds in the United States was when somebody found a way to pretext the wire room at one of the banks. Yep. And, and they, they didn't rob that bank by walking in with a gun. They just tricked them. Now you're giving them a tool to do that uh, without even having to think too hard about it. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, so I think all these things are going to be uh, going to be, you know, kind of come to a head. I, I do think uh, uh, I do think it will require. I mean, if you're listening and like I said, you are an investigator. I think you need to get involved. I, I'll tell you this right now. Be involved because these rules are going to be written whether you want to be there or not. It's much better for you to be at the table trying to trying to see to make sure that your interest is represented. You know, I also say this, look, you know, the, the jobs aren't leaving tomorrow. I don't believe that. Um, you know, if you think about, you know, our, our office in 1985 had three transcriptionists. It, it had uh, a whole bunch of little bookkeepers that, you know, all those, all those jobs went whoosh, and we don't exist anymore. You know what I mean? And so this is a tool and you're going to see some, you know, things change because of it. But I don't I don't believe that it'll be a turn on the dime. I do think it'll be you'll start seeing some things over the next 10 years and we'll have to address those each as they come about. 
Yeah. And I think you brought up a, a real good point about getting involved and supporting um, the efforts to make sure that there's a watchdog on this, right? So that comes right down to the National Council of Investigative and Security Services, right? If you're an investigator um, and you're doing business in the United States, like you should be supporting that organization um, because they really do watch over um, you know, what, what's going on in Washington and or what's going on in California, which seems to be, you know, the, the pr- proving ground for, for everything, right? Um, yeah. You know, so, so if... Um, you know, they're, they're supportive of this program. And, um, you know, I'm a member, I know Wes is, Wes is actually former president um, of the association. It's definitely something that, um, you know, when you're looking to say, okay, well, where am I, you know, where am I networking? Where am I investing my money in, you know, and all that, like just take an interest in your industry, take an interest in your ability to put food on the table, because really that's what it comes down to, right? We got to be able to protect our rights, to our ways to, to, of doing business. Um, so I want to thank everybody for uh, for taking the time to do this. This was a lot of fun, man. This was really, uh, really a lot of fun. And I, I love the diversity here. Uh, it, no uh, no pun intended <laughs> based on our conversation earlier. Uh, just the different backgrounds, everybody. And and what's cool is that you guys are all my friends, you know? And I, I know you're from different, different areas. And, uh, you know, I... I I, and like I said earlier, I met you all in person, so I know you're all real. <laughs> There's no difference going on. Um, but uh, yeah, I want to personally thank you uh, all of you for for coming on. Um, you know, Scott, Alex, Wes, Mike, uh, you guys are the best, and uh, I appreciate you coming on and and using this platform here to uh, to get the word out. Uh, I'm, I'm humbled that uh, that you guys took the time to do this. So thanks, and and thank you everyone for for checking this out. Uh, and uh, you know, no commercial breaks today. We went straight through, and uh, it was well worth it. So thanks, guys. Thanks everybody, and uh, we'll see everybody next week on the next show. Take care. Thanks, man. Wow, this was such a great episode, we couldn't even take a break. So interesting to hear the different perspectives. Thank you to the panel for being a part of this. Thank you also to Campbell Insurance Group for sponsoring this show. Remember to tell them you listened to this podcast to save $50 when you apply for insurance. Additional big thanks to the PI Institute for Education, Cross Tracks, and Conflict International. They also helped make this podcast happen. And don't forget about investigatorstoolbox.com. You can type in version 2.0, 25% to save $50 when you join. If you have a question or a comment about the show, email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd like your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. And we'll be back next week with a new show. So make sure you tune in and stay safe out there.